I'm loud. You're very I'll loud. Turn down a bit. Okay, hold on. It's the only way I get a word in. <laughs> I don't know about that. How's that? Anyway. You never have anything to say. All right, here we go. Hey everybody! Well, it is hey everybody! It's Wednesday night here on Live Long and Podcast, and we are covering Star Trek: The Original Series, uh, Season Two, Episode Twenty Four, uh, "The Ultimate Computer," which first aired in nineteen sixty-eight. Let's uh, let's bring in my dad, Ted, uh, who picked this episode. How you doing, Dad? Good, thanks. And uh, how did you enjoy the Ultimate Computer? I thought it was interesting. Kind of. It went, went. It had a lot of ups and downs to it, but uh, at the end of it, it kind of ended kind of weirdly. But other than that, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Well, hold that thought. Let's bring in some great panelists here to help us break this all down. Uh, first, we got my brother Jeff. How are you doing, Jeff? What's going on? Are you ready here. to do some ultimate computing? M five. Why was it an M why was it an M1? Nobody knows. Why not? What happened to M1 through four? M M1 to four. Aaron heard one M1 and four all died. Yeah. What's let's also bring in Jody Simpson. How are you doing, Jody? Well, hello. <laughs> hey. You just happen to be there right now. <laughs> I just happened to be here. Uh, I was like, I was like, someone's saying something. Yes. How are Jody, you? Jody. I'm good, Jody. How are you doing? I'm all right. I don't know where my glasses are, so hopefully I don't have to read anything. No, no readings involved. Uh, the computer will do all the work for you. Don't worry. Um, True. I, I do have the ultimate computer. You do have the ultimate computer. Uh, and our our fifth panelist tonight, we also have Adam Woodward. How are you doing, Adam? I'm great. How are you guys? I'm doing very well. And so you're coming to you last right. on the ultimate computer. <clears throat> I love this episode. This is good. Yeah. I think I actually picked this episode. Did you pick I this did. one? You did. Uh, well, I think I sorry, did. Jody. Yeah. Didn't mean to. Yeah. I, think, I think your dad wanted to do the cage. He did. I, I didn't realize. No, it's okay. The, uh, I was fine. No, I, 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 I'm more than happy to share the responsibility with Ted. There's many more episodes to go, so plenty of us to watch uh, here on the original series. But uh, we're running out of good ones, though. Can I uh, can I pick uh, the next week? <laughs> I haven't picked one yet. If you have oh, one well. in mind, Jeff, we can definitely discuss it. I do. Let's let's let's, let's yeah. table that to the end. But first, we got to talk about this week's episode, the ultimate computer, uh, where uh, the Enterprise has been called to a starbase. Um, they get right into this story, and basically, this Commodore Bob <laughs> Wesley, he tells Kirk, "Your ship's gonna be part of some war games. It's gonna be your ship against four others or three others, at least." says initially so uh and that's where this story begins can a ship run fully by computer so it's a there are a lot of a lot of themes here automation the uh what you know what role should technology play in our lives it kind of talks and in, ties into our d space nine conversation last night jeff uh about the, that society that rejected all technology and where do we sort of draw that line you know there's some good lines in this episode tonight from spock about how you know computers are efficient servants but i don't want to serve under them i don't want to work for a computer i just want right really so good. 
So, so your argument last night, Dave, was like, what is up with these people? What's wrong with them? Why don't they want technology? Why don't they want things? And then today, it's like... <laughs> this is well, why. <laughs> the, well, they, the, the computers, oh, they, if you, it's just if the wrong people get, in, you know, get the wrong idea with a computer, then yeah, then it's bad. But no, it could... It could go to you know Terminator style computer taking computers taking over the Matrix. There's lots of you know stories about that, um, and I think this one kind of addresses that idea as well. But like more in its infancy, which is strange because it's so for, it's so in the future. I mean, it's like what it's so years? in the future, and and the idea of a computer, a completely automated robot ship, was kind of an out there idea i think for 1968 you know but um it's very much the reality of today's military technology jody i want to go to you next jody so we have drones now we got smart bombs and and a lot of there are i think that the british just built a a submarine recently that can it, it doesn't run with no crew but it runs with much fewer crew right so is this kind of where we're headed anyway. Is there was there some prophecy in this episode? This is the reason why I've worked in IT for 25 years and I won't drive a self-driving car. Right. This is exactly it. Right, because you know that things can go wrong with computers. I see it firsthand constantly. That's your your whole job. You make you fix when the computer breaks. Yeah, if the computers were the ultimate computer, I would be out of a job. Right. That's so really what it comes you down. You need with. them to be a little bit faulty. Yeah, and well, this one clearly was, but well, yeah. What, what, so what is the role of man? So maybe over to Adam. Adam, um, I know you liked the episode, but just in terms of this theme, what was your sort of thoughts on this, like this theme of the machine taking over the role of the of the of the human being, and where what do we lose? Never happened. Number one, you you need you need people. I'm with Kirk. You need the emotion. You need the um, you need the, the the rationalism and and to make your decisions work and they're not they're tools they're not they're not the be all and end all and i I, what i loved about this episode to me it was like the beginning of all uh i think jeff said it you know it's the beginning of terminator it's beginning of matrix it's beginning of space odyssey i don't even know when space odyssey was made but it feels like it was after this um year after this 1969 so yeah yeah, it was probably being made at the same time that this episode was being made Right, but <clears throat> I loved I loved the tie into all other pop culture we've seen, where where you know the computers trying to take over, and, and here's the bad stuff that happens. I mean, nothing ever good happens with computers taking over. Yeah, yeah. Adam, before I I I, I want to get back to Dad, but Adam, if only Spock had been part of like uh, this effort to uh, undo this uh, powerful AI earlier in his career, if he only had experiences with AI sort of going rogue and trying to kill everybody in the galaxy. It's too bad he didn't go through those things. Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, I I say that with irony because that's exactly what happened in Star Trek Discovery Season 2 where they had to fight control. This This felt like... Spock's already kind of been through this and this is my... I know this is not a Discovery podcast, but this was my criticism of the show. Like you're throwing all this into Spock's backstory that contradicts existing episodes like this. Um, That's true. And- I, it's true. And you know what? I, I don't remember having seen this. I, I was like, listen, the last four, three or four weeks with with the original series, I have not been you know, overly over the moon about any of them. This one finally was really great. Um, it tied stuff in. 
uh, <clears throat> you know, even in, in Next Gen, the, the whole reference, and they reference the Daystrom Institute all the time. And now he, here's the guy. You yep. know, he, even this big screw up, he's still got a, you know, a science uh, institute named after him. I mean, it was pretty amazing. Um, so loved it. Again, just, I mean, we can go further into it in a minute. I'm sure you have more questions. And you're right, Dave, I, I, get, I get the inconsistencies all over the place with, with discovery. But I think you just got to doesn't exist, Dave. It's not in the canon of it the exists. So it's in the canon. It's but not, it's just this is my nitpick with the show. <laughs> this is why I this is my nitpick with the show because they said it 10 years before that they they put these characters so interweaved with these enterprise characters that like there's just there's all like these inconsistencies that drive me crazy. But let's go to somebody who won't care about any of that, dad. Um <laughs> Now that's uh, a segue. Yeah, this episode. Sure, uh, what did you think of the of Richard Daystrom, the doctor who invented the ultimate computer, the M5? I wasn't impressed by old Daystrom there. I thought he was a little bit defensive on his system, and and uh, he he could have helped them out of this quicker, but he didn't. And uh, I, I wasn't impressed with Daystrom's moves on this on this episode. Uh, he was. He caused the whole ship to be destroyed. I couldn't help but think. I couldn't help but thinking, Dad, too, that last week we watched two mourns for Adonais, and that we had heard that uh, Kirk or Shatner would not be in a scene with Michael Forrest, no, no taller than him. But Daystrom is taller than Kirk or Shatner that as well. Tall. That guy's tall, but I felt like he was like crouching down at times. That's why. He, that's why uh, Kirk was on the the main level of the bridge, and he was up on the you know by the consoles. So he was even exaggerated, even being more tall. So it wouldn't look like oh, that's why. It's because he's uh, they they literally like stood that far apart and talked for the majority of the episode. Right. So you're saying that Kirk, that Shatner definitely had a hand in making sure that the tall guy didn't make him look bad. Oh my I just, god, it's that guy. Oh, oh, sorry, I just looked something up. Yeah I, yeah, I don't think he wanted to stand right beside him. I also noticed in this episode there was a lot of McCoy and Kirk like scenes where they're just like talking. Like there's a whole like it's about a, a two minute. There's about yeah. a like it's about a two minute one shot of them just walking down the corridor very, very slowly, stopping all the time because the set's only so long to talk to each other, continue to walk, stop. Really have a good face to face. Keep walking like that, and that's all one shot. You know, it's like I think it's like a minute and a half long. So that that's something that I noticed in this episode. I, sure. I, I the only other time I saw them do that so far in this whole podcast, Jeff, is in Mirror Mirror when we saw Kirk mm. and, and Mirror Spock talking in the corridor. Like uh, that was the only time. Generally, they don't do walk and talk in the corridor scenes. Like it's a good. It, I did notice that too. The guy who directed this, John Meredith Lucas, I don't know. Like, I just thought, I thought the direction was very um, better. It was a lot better than most of the other episodes. Like, just the way they shot the bridge and the, the pan shots, and, and I just thought the direction in this was m much better than most episodes. But the acting was much better too. I, you know, yeah. it, it was quite. It wasn't overacted at all. I think it was. Yeah, it was quite good. Well, that's why I'm all excited about it. I looked up who Daystrom was. He's the guy. Who's, he's this guy that he's Blackula. He's Blackula. Yeah, from the exploitation movies. He's Blackula. I'm like, that's I amazing. <laughs> I did not know that. I, that's uh, why I was so excited. I couldn't contain myself. I'm sorry. Who is this actor? This actor's name is uh, William Marshall. William Marshall. Okay. Yep. Uh, who 
Yeah, so he he would have been about uh, forty years old or forty four years old at the time of this episode. Um, And I don't know what else. Looks older, dude. Star Trek had Blackula. And by the way, Adam, this episode aired in March uh, nineteen sixty eight. Two thousand one, A Space Odyssey came out in May of nineteen sixty eight. So only two months apart. Maybe they got the the script and they ripped it off, Jeff. Well, it was also a Kubrick movie, which took two years to make anyway. So, <laughs> at least, <laughs> it's yeah, a, it was yeah, it's a Kubrick movie. It might have took five years for all we know. It was probably in the can for like six months, doing all the special effects, at least. Yeah. Okay, but let's get to the, the back to the episode. Um, so this episode starts with this whole war games. The ship, the Enterprise, has been called in for war games. Um, Jody, do you remember the other time they did war games in next uh, in Star Trek, which I guess would be well in next gen. In next gen, right? They did, did um, in next gen where they get Will his own ship. Yeah, they, it was Will and Worf against the Enterprise, right? Uh, in that That's one, right. yeah. Wesley was with uh, with uh, Will. Do you enjoy it? Because I enjoy did a disaster it. happen. Eh, kind of. They they actually got attacked by another race, and at the, 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 beginning, the Ferengi really attacked them, right? The Ferengi, the like, Ferengi attacked ended up attacking them, yeah, in the middle of their of their simulation. <laughs> So I like the whole war happen, game. Bad the war game premise to me is something that definitely can. It, it's always fun. There's always like something neat about it. Yeah, if it actually just played out for what it was, it'd be boring. But it always turns That's out. That's right. To- if they just said, "Oh, we're going to test the computer and he's going to fly us around," like no one wants to watch that episode. <laughs> okay, but um, in the original series. Right, not unlike the next generation, they don't go like computer, and then the computer talks back to them. Right. That's right. uh, it does sometimes. Well, the computer that's in like their little like loungy area thing, he can talk to that technically. That, yeah, okay. Sometimes they talk to the computer, but, but uh, yeah. they don't do it as often in the original. Okay. Yeah, so, the original is always talking to them. Right. So the it, it, it you know it's it, it goes to say here that Daystrom invented the voice of like the computer. Like that, that, that multifunctional like thing, because that's kind of what this Daystrom thing that he invented was. They just they needed to take all the, the human kind of decision making out of it, right? <laughs> it seems like it was like it was out of control, so they needed to take that out of it. But that's basically ends up being um, the the Major Barrett computer voice later on. I think. Well, it also helps if you sleep with the person who makes the show. That helps yeah. too. It helps. It helps. Um, yeah. So anybody else on this? Uh, the concept itself, I think, is interesting. But then it's all this whole thing about automation. What can you know? Because I think at the time in the 1960s, like this was already happening. Car, like car plants, mm-hmm. auto factories, different things were being. A lot of jobs were being replaced, and I think that um, you know, but that isn't that progress. And Kirk saying, well, why 60s, would I? The 60s in robotics were something that were starting to really get evolved right like you, i'm sure this plays into some sort of social social commentary as well i'm sure a- adam looks like he's just busting to tell us that but uh see <laughs> well, I, listen, tell. I, I think i think that you know everybody's got their hesitancy and their reservations about getting into anything that's completely controlled by a, a robot like i mean or a, a computer i mean myself i would love a car that would drive me around I, i'd love that i'd get so much done 
uh, as long as I could take over, right? It's that whole wanting to be able to take back. But the problem is there's always a chance when you can't take control back. That's the problem. That, that's, the, that's the thing with these stories is that- you And the can't... other issue we have is like, for instance, um, when they were talking, I don't know if you guys ever watched the original things where they were trying to get the Tesla certified for use on the roads and stuff like that. And they're, the one the one senator is like, well, what what happens if it's given a decision of, does it kill the little baby on the right or does it kill the old man on the left? And it has to do one of those two things. What does it do? Right? Well, this is kind of what you have with this thing. What does it do when it thinks it sees an enemy? What's it going to do? It's is gonna it going to always fire? Yeah, it's going to strike, right? So what is it going to do? Well, it, it blew up an entire, what was it, an oil thing or something they said? Some sort uh, of... It was like a robot freighter at first. And then. Yeah, some sort of robot freighter or something. Yeah. So it destroyed that first, and then they're like, "Oh well, you know, big problem." But you also—I can't remember who said it, but one of the, one of you guys said it, where they're like, "Well, you know, why? You know, Daystrom got you know an institute named after him and stuff like that." Well, when you think about it, you know, he's testing this. This is one of the many things that he did, right? So you know, just because you have one failure doesn't mean that you know you lose credibility for everything else you've done, you know. So yeah, it's like Tom. It was only 50 people, guys. Kirk kills more than that in like a season anyway. It was a, it was a whole starship. It was 1,500 people. Wasn't well, it, it 1,500? I, I thought know. it was no, only each, like... Ship, each ship has 450 people. Roughly. All right, there you go. But, but I don't think it was one ship versus four. I don't think it was his it, fault. I think it no, was it's... like, you know, it was reckless of Starfleet to make Kirk install this thing on his ship as like a test. And then like they didn't really go through all the you know, trials and troubleshooting that they probably should have with this M5. The and, Federation is evil. And the Federation screwed up. <laughs> That's what I think. But Jeff, Jeff, uh, I got I a question right. for you on this. It does Daystrom have, is, is what he, is his pursuit here noble? Because his idea is yeah. that, you know, we shouldn't be, you know, man should not be dying in space or on some alien planet, you know, fighting for the Federation or for exploration. Like that's, that's not a good use of human life. You know, that human life should be pursuing more intellectual pursuits and things like that. And let, and so if you can automate this, it's better. If you can have a, if you can have a starship with a crew of a hundred people, that's better than a starship of 400 people. I've always thought it was kind of ridiculous that, you know, in Star Trek, a lot of the time is wasted, like, you know, like fixing a plasma conduit or something. And I'm just, why couldn't like a robot do that? Like, why do you need a person? Seems like, <laughs> seems like you should, you should probably use robots well, for certain that's what things. The exocomps are for. Exocomps. I was just going to say this. Yeah, that's what the exocomps are for. Yes. Exocomps. And we, and we have seen some of this in the, like, in the discovery era and some of the newer stuff that they've kind of retconned that there are more sort of drones and things working around the scenes in the ship. But um, I, I have found it odd, especially in retrospect, to consider that, like, why would you put this many people on a ship? Like, doesn't it seem like um, more well, than unique? Th this, isn't, this isn't nearly as bad as uh, next gen. Next gen has like tons of families and everything on the damn thing. I know, and that ship has like a thousand like, people. On, they're gonna right? kill, yeah, they're gonna kill out like a city population when that thing goes down. Like, <laughs> <laughs> a small city, like come on. A, a thousand people isn't even that many people. You know, when you go to like a you go to like a leap game, there's like eighteen thousand people there. You know? Well, I don't know. I think you're you telling me you you telling me you you telling me you couldn't fit the Air Canada setter inside the Enterprise? Oh, easily. Okay. Right. So have you ever seen like they showed like a diagram of like the crew of the Enterprise standing on the hull? It's like the ship is huge compared to the amount of people in it. 
Um, there's a lot of, but room. it's still, but, but what I'm saying, I'm not saying the amount of people I'm saying how reckless, how reckless, uh, the Federation is to begin with, because they're literally putting tons of things on this supposed science ship, which happens to have the best armament in the fleet, but yet it's a science ship. Like, come on. Like there's, there's, there's a little bit of credibility lost on that statement. Let's be honest. Well, and we saw that a whole crew got killed in this episode, right? Was it was it the Lexington? Mm-hmm. No, it was the Excalibur. The Excalibur. Excalibur yeah. So the Excalibur got completely killed. All four hundred fifty crew dead. They were yeah. the biggest casualty. That engineer, he got. He was the second. He was the first. He was the first uh, the, that guy who, who gets killed in engineering by the little beam there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he gets killed because yeah, the thing was killed. trying to find another power source. Do you ever yeah, find was, that? Was, Whenever anybody is killed, though, like uh, the lack of emotion or response, is yeah, just, like, right remarkable. Like he's the, the guy just got vaporized, and there's nothing. That's the first thing I thought of when I saw that scene again. I'm like, I'm like, wow, Kirk, you really could care less about that guy. <laughs> this episode, <laughs> this episode was very Shatner, like being Kirk and doing the pauses, and he was really laying into his Shatner. I, I, I the opposite though it's not a very shatner-esque episode though in my opinion i know like yeah it's like him, him struggling with with the idea of that he could be replaced by a computer uh but i i actually i think the star of this show is mccoy yeah, he's sure. in it a lot for sure he's got um, so many cool cool things to say in this episode he was laying on the guilt pretty thick i thought mccoy he was saying to uh to daystrom how do you live with him you're a murderer and, That's right. uh, and even at the beginning, they don't start, their relationship does not start off pretty well. Um, like when McCoy first comes in and he's like, what are you going to do? Get a computer, take over the whole ship. And Daystrom's like, uh, why is this guy here? Uh, why, why <laughs> was he like, oh, who is this guy? And, and, and Kirk's just like, he's the doctor. He's allowed to go wherever he wants on the ship. Um, is he just, he's just Kirk's sidekick, right? He's just Kirk's bartender slash, uh, um, uh, confidant in this episode. He has no medical work to do, it seems. Uh, a little bit at the end with Daystrom, but after he goes through his nervous breakdown, which he might have helped cause. Um, yeah, it just did, is, McC- does, is McCoy more annoying or does he serve a purpose in this episode? That's my question. He's kind of like a confidant to Kirk in this episode, I find. like he And, he, and he's kind of like trying to tell Kirk, because Kirk knows it in his gut already that this is probably going to end badly. Um, and then he's also, at the same time, kind of like trying to have this like philosophical discussion with Spock about whether like computers are you know, better or worse than humans or something, which like Spock basically doesn't even want to get into it. McCoy. He basically, he's like, here's my opinion. Screw off. <laughs> Spock gets to. Right. Is McCoy a little harsh at Spock because Spock didn't invent computers? No, but he's not. He's not thrilled that Spock's not more is not objecting more to this concept of a computer automating the ship. He's 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 angry at the fact that Spock can't have the emotion that everybody else has. That's really the angerment. It, it's it's the anger of the fact that he knows he should be angry, but he's not, and that's right. And that's, I think, the biggest issue that McCoy has. Right, but he has that... Spock has such a sick burn in this episode when he says to McCoy, he's like, if we analyzed your brain, it would be it would be like... Uh, he says something like... Uh, it would be filled with illogical um, assertions or something like that. <laughs> yeah. 
You know, he says something yeah. like that until at one point. And I'm just like, oh, that was a pretty sick burn. And he just walks away. You know, like Spock does that a lot. He's kind of like, you know, he, he says he has no emotion, but he always likes to do those little digs uh, <laughs> because he's like, screw off, McCoy. You know? Yeah. I like at, I like yeah, at McCoy to the, bullshit. be the moral compass of the story. He's the guy that says straight out he doesn't like it. And he knows that it's going to be an issue. Like I always imagined, there would be like a, a you know a satire of this where you know Kirk would be sorry Spock would be on one shoulder and McCoy would be the other one, and he's the two angels of really fighting with, you know, with uh, Kirk. I mean, because you know McCoy is the the extreme, right? The outrage, the you know, you can't do this, the the world will explode or something really bad will well, well actually, Captain. You know, look at it this way: yes, this will happen, but it's not all bad. Like there is yeah. definitely he's the two, you know you know, identities of the captain, I think. And they're just the extremes that bring, and then Kirk is the moderator right down the middle. I'll take, I'll take my, uh, my advice from both and, and come up with a plan. Um, so, you know, you need, you need the McCoy to be that extreme person who will give the, the worst case scenario and call it all out there. And then uh, Spock is the, again, brings things back, but not, uh, loses that emotional side to it but you know we don't want to be that either you know so we're, you got to go down the middle well we really yeah. see that in the kelvin the kelvin timeline stuff right like mccoy is definitely against almost everything in that in that movie right so you know it's it's kind of yeah i think you're completely right like that's really what he is he's the good he's the he's the good conscience versus the logical conscience or you know that kind of thing so it's 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 kind of interesting i think you're right uh just okay uh with the episode um we kind of we kind of talked about a bunch of things all right so i kind of i'm trying, just kind of trying to go through this order we talked about them in engineering we talked there's also the a very first um like when they first get to the planet the computer picks different people to go on this away mission than who kirk would have picked <laughs> right and it, then it gives these reasons that seem good or they seem strong but is so what did you i guess what i'm trying to figure out is was that computer right about those things or was it actually wrong was it, was the computer proven wrong by how the rest of the episode went he never brought a leader on board like he never sent a leader and you know that that's where i think the computer lacked you know the understanding of humans need need to be led, need a decision to be made. There's somebody's got to make that decision, but he didn't do that. He, he just put a bunch of equals on on the planet. We also decided that Kirk and McCoy were non-essential. Right. Well, I don't think McCoy's never ever really needed on the planet, other than the medical emergencies. And even then, people still die. He's not really. He's there for that personality uh, check, I think. But um, <laughs> my God, yeah. man. The, um, the army, the army puts medics in every platoon, but the, you don't see them on the front line. Like there's, you know, and that's the same thing with McCoy. Like he's a medical officer; he wouldn't be down there. Like that doesn't make much sense. Oh, we actually got somebody commenting right now. Well, when you really think about it, away teams in Star Trek never should be the captain or any senior officer whatsoever. It should really be the lower deck type people going on the away missions because they're more expendable. And uh, they could just report, you know. I remember, though, it's a television show. No, I understand that. <laughs> it's I understand a television that. show. I get that. But in reality, that's probably what it should yeah, be. Yeah. 
we're analyzing it 50 years after it was made and and uh, and we're uh, trying to be just very critical of what's happening but the fact of the matter is, is that they were the stars of the show if they, they went to a planet they had to go yeah dad couldn't they bring more security guards with them they had you're to... not you know that guy who got vaporized like i don't know if he would have been a good star for the show you know <laughs> <laughs> we got yeah. a question yeah the question is why don't they bring security with them or or at least more security uh in this case well, though they, they, they do they do but they could bring more there is a lot of red shirts have been killed over the years. There is one episode we've covered where they brought like like eight of them. Yeah, and it was like I'm eight. Like, you're gonna shirts. carry a crew of four hundred people. That's that's Mary, isn't it? Yeah, it might be Mary, or is another one like that. No, it wasn't Mary. Wasn't Mary. How long did it take? How long are we in this episode today? Because how long did it take him to mention? I tried to bring Mary? that. I tried to bring Maybe. that Mary reference in. Thirty-one minutes. Half hour. Thank you, Jody. I tried. Yeah, pretty favorite episode. Jeez. Yeah, but but okay. Then this then after, than Mary. after they have yes, it is after they had the um that like initial thing with the who was going on the away mission. That's when they get the sneak attack, and this is the first of the war games. This goes fine. This is against just the two ships, Excalibur and the Lexington, and uh, that's where the Enterprise under the control of Mi five. Easily bests them in this first fight. It goes fine. It's just it's just fake phasers. What changed though is what I'm trying to figure out. Well, okay, we'll get to that. But I guess the other what happened before that was that uh, Mr. Commodore, um, what was his name? Commodore Wesley. 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 Bob Wesley, if you will. Let's uh, Wesley. There's never been a yeah, good Bob Wesley. You knew him at the academy. There's you never been a good Wesley in Star Trek. Bob that. Wesley Commodore. He outranks uh, Dean Roddenberry's yeah. middle name, Wesley. Yeah, he loves that <laughs> name. Wesley. Um, but he calls he calls Kirk Captain Dunsell uh, after the first war game, uh, which uh, Kirk can't even uh, deal with it. He just walks out in a little bit of. A, oh yeah, he's mad. He's mad when he thinks of that. Yeah, right. And then they have to explain yeah. to him what, what they go. What's a Dunsell? And it's a naval term of something that's a part that's compound. Completely useless. So basically, Mr. Wesley it's here. It's like an appendix. Yeah, it's a useless component. Yeah, it's a useless component. He called it's like an appendix. Um, was that a little mean? <laughs> you know what? Somebody needs to put Kirk down a couple pegs. I I don't have a problem with this. Yeah, it's the military. They they put people down all the time. In, in reality, how much does Kirk really do? Like, come on. Like, Spock comes up with shit. Fucking McCoy comes up McCoy. with shit. He picks Everybody the wrong geologist to go on the away mission. That's all, Kirk. McC all Kirk does is pick the pretty girl. That's all he does. Like, let's be <laughs> honest. Well, he does get them out of this situation. But, yeah, so Mr. <laughs> Captain Dunsell. And then that's where uh, – oh, yeah, there's Jeff. Uh, McCoy, so Kirk runs off, and this is where McCoy shows up with a couple of green beverages, uh, to uh, help um, help him out here, I guess, uh, help him deal with this this uh, disgrace, right? But it's it's over this drink that they kind of realize that uh, Daystrom is trying to recapture past glory, uh, that he was really successful at an early age, but hadn't sort of had a big success since then and that 
his obsession with being with finding a second win uh, made him cut corners, I guess, under the development of MI5, right? Because he used his own memory engrams to program the thing to make it more human. But he made it too human because my question was after that first war game with the um, with the Lexington and the uh, Excalibur, why does the why does MI five like turn on them? Why does it destroy that freighter? Why does it why does it end up destroying the uh, the Lexington uh, or the Excalibur? I'm sorry, it's the Excalibur that gets destroyed because I couldn't follow that part of the story. It seemed like it got. They explained, I think, at one point that the MI five becomes like basically frightened and that it's not just like this like logical ai that it kind of has emotions and that's how kirk eventually breaks it he you know again once again kirk convinces a machine to kill itself this is the second time now guys this has happened in the original series where kirk talks a machine into self-destructing kind of a Kind of crazy, but we've talked about this before because I think this was the this, like you said the second time. But isn't it more logical for like Spock to do that? I know it's always Kirk. Kirk gets everything. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk gets top billing. That's just how it works. Okay. He just gets anything that's important. He gets, and then that's why that's why I think Rathacon was such a big deal was because Spock got that the big moment and. uh Everyone was like, finally, <laughs> I think. But, but one thing about that, though, I mean, even why Kirk should have had that that line is that he's got the emotion. He's got the Spock, uh, sorry, Spock doesn't have that that emotion right. uh, to do to turn that, that M5 into into killing himself, essentially. And I think that also they recognize the relationship between Daystrom and the computer because remember, I think didn't we learn that Daystrom had put his consciousness into the yeah. or his morals, yeah. his his synapses uh, or something? Yeah, like that. it's yeah. based on his thought essentially. Yeah. So it's really a human in M five essentially. Yeah. Right. And right. this is also done in sci fi. If you put a human in a computer, you just get an evil computer. It's kind of like the movie Transcendence when like Johnny Depp ends up being in the computer and then it's like is it really johnny depp or is it you know a mass murdering like our ai and the answer was was both see i always think of the movie the lawnmower man <laughs> oh yeah the lawnmower man that's right terrible movie, but... What? right but Computers and technology are something to fear is sort of like the, the main theme of all these stories that we've been getting for a long long time that we got to be careful with AI, and and we've heard it today. We have heard it in today's society about how AI, uh, that people like Bill Gates and these other people have, and famous and very notable scientists well, have said, we, if AI we can't gets get the vaccine, because Bill Gates is going to track me. Would you be okay with like nobody flying a plane, just a computer flies the plane? That's basically what happens now. There's just guys. But is that what happens now? There's just a human there to take over in case something goes wrong. Yeah, and they land the plane. They, they land well, it. It's not all automated, but yeah, it's there's a chunk of it that is for sure. I don't think people would fly if there was no pilots. <laughs> they wouldn't fly if there's no pilots, but like. Uh, yeah, pilot, I'm probably with him on that. Our cousin's a pilot, and uh, that's our understanding of it is that the computer does all or most of it. Uh, they, oh yeah, pretty much does. Yeah. Well, the computer helps, but there's still some intuition there, I think. 
I don't think so. I saw Die Hard too. I know what happens. Well, have, you ever watched, have you ever watched the show Mayday? So a lot of times guys have crashed planes because they let the computer take over and when they really should have taken control of it. They, they trusted they too much. They trusted the computer too much, crashed. right? Um, but I, I, computer yeah, they trusted too much. I, I think you're looking at an age, especially for this episode, you're looking at an age where automation was just starting to take – a really good toll and i think there was a lot of people that were very scared of that and there's a lot of people that would lose jobs because of it and stuff like that so i i think it's perfect time to start that conversation i guess would be in late when we talk about planes too like think like um are there less plane crashes now than there were in the 60s when planes were more manually flown yes yeah uh, well there's there's more planes now but I, I, th I think it's safer to fly now than it used to be, but I think you still have the same. Ironically, same, uh, today's the first day that the uh, the Boeing plane fl flew, flew again. Oh, the, the 737? The one that crashed twice. Yeah. Max, yeah. It, it flew in Brazil today. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not getting on that plane. There's no way. <laughs> I don't care how many software updates you do on that damn thing. This isn't a video. You're gonna game, wait guys. for the. Uh, you're gonna wait for some. Uh, if it couldn't fly the first time, I don't think a software reports. update's gonna be the best part about this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. We're and really then, getting off base here, though. No, it's okay. It's all part of the discussion, but um, I want to, you know, eventually after. The, the ship kind of goes really rogue. It, uh, we talked about Mr. What was his name? Ensign Harper, who got killed in engineering. Uh, and they realized they can't do anything. Then they find out the four Federation ships are coming back. The Excalibur, the Lexington, and two more. The USS Hood and the USS Potemkin are, are the four uh, ships th that are part of this, what they think is a war game. Uh, did uh, Jeff, did you pick up on those two ships, the Potemkin and the Hood? Yeah, they all are look like the Enterprise. They're all the sister ships of the Enterprise. Well, they're all they're all the same class of ship, right? So, uh, like here, you can see a couple of them here. Um, and it's we like saw we, like we have this model. Why don't we just use it four times? <laughs> we just put. Well, well yeah, they get slight changes. Like the na the nacelles were different on one of them, and yeah, they didn't like have that. computers back then that could reproduce it. But this is all this is all the re the redone stuff that we watched on Netflix. Yeah. Um, but, the, but Jeff, the Potemkin, or the whole group, right? You know, the Potemkin and the Hood were two ships that Riker served on uh, in his career, William Riker. Um, but not these particular two ships, like just the same. Oh, they were like the Potemkin like B the or like from the, the, Second World War. the Hood A. Yeah, well, these four ship names, I don't know if this will come up in fun facts, but I would like to know if there was if these four names were picked for a reason. The Lexington, the Excalibur, the Potemkin, and the Hood, um, along with the Enterprise, of course. So um, are they just World War II ships, Dad, you're saying? The Hood was, for sure. Uh, yeah. The Hood sunk the Bismarck, which is a big uh, big German um, destroyer. So that was its famous thing. But it's also it's all it's about the the world building, about establishing the fleet, the, what the Starfleet is, what the Federation is, all these kinds of things. I, I think it, it uh, that's why I gravitate towards this episode um, among some of the other ones because it adds to that. I think the introduction of Daystrom is a great is a great addition here uh, into this lore because he's like the brilliant man of his time. He's the 
I, want, I don't want to say uh, Steve Jobs, but he's more of a Bill Gates type or a Wozniak or something. He, he's like a brilliant mind, right? He's like a, he's like a, a prodigy. Uh, one of the like like Kirk compares him to Einstein and Sitara Vulcan, whoever that it's was. Kind of like an Elon Musk. Kind of like an Elon Musk. Um, yeah, but what happens is his his computer is too good, and it like we mentioned, it kills the crew of the Excalibur uh, and uh, Mr. Mr. Commodore uh, Wesley. He's not too thrilled. He's like, Kirk, what are you doing? Pull off your tack. You're killing people. So I think at least at least like 600 people died in the course of this fight, right? Um, with the, the Enterprise versus the other four ships. Um, could they not have run away? Or could like they seemed like they tried to for a little bit or they could have gone in four directions once they realized this wasn't going their way. But it's uh, maybe there's just no time for that, or the episode was going too quickly. The, the Potemkin uh, was a World War One era battleship. World War One, okay. Yeah, and the hood, the hood was actually sunk by the Bismarck. But but once the hood was sunk, then they, then a whole bunch of other ships surrounded the Bismarck and sank it. There you go. There you go. Right. And, we're instructional uh, too. In 1941. Okay. Uh, okay, do you know what? I skipped over something. I didn't understand. When Scotty and Spock are trying to like reroute the controls before the battle, uh, and it doesn't work because the M5 is two steps ahead of them or whatever. Uh, why does Daystrom react like he does? He goes, no, and he tries to like stop uh, them from doing because, it. Because they're going to stop his creation from being tested. But he knows that things are, he has to shut this thing down by this point. Yeah. This is after the guy yeah. Does he really though? One person? You know how many people died testing cars? Like, yeah. Yeah, One I don't know. He, he talks about how he he doesn't want people dying in space. He just got a guy killed in space. Uh, <laughs> I guess acceptable losses, maybe. Um, it, it it was he afraid that this computer was going to lash out and kill them, or in retaliation? I, so. I, I think that he was just he was starting to go into that you know breakdown. The, the madness was starting, and you know he wanted to protect his 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 creation and. Um, I don't think there was a lot of rational thought at that point, you know, what's going no. on. I mean, I think it was more yeah. of a protect the kid type thing, right? Protect right. my child because he starts, he treats this thing like it's his child. And then, and then we, after like the, after the first battle, after, or the first part of the battle, when, when they've clearly killed many people, many people have died. Uh, he pleads with this computer, which is kind of like talking to himself, right? And I thought that this was maybe one of the like, and then his his subsequent like sort of breakdown from that. Um, did good performance? I would say it was all right. From the go, I would Asia. say it was. Yeah, just I like that whole. I would say it was incredible, but I, it was passable. passable. I thought the I thought the writing was was good. Was like what stood out more in this than his performance. He wasn't bad, but uh, uh, wasn't uh, wasn't great. Well, now that I know he's Blackula, he's totally gone up in my books. But 
Listen, I, I think that that given the time and what kind of shows were on TV at the time, and to show this kind of emotion, yeah. and right. and he did a great job. Like you know, you definitely know he was he was unbalanced. Oh, yeah, point. yeah. And That's we don't see true. him again, right? He didn't come back to the show after this, did he? No, no. he didn't. Okay, because I I've yeah. heard about Daystrom think... throughout all of Star Trek, like the Daystrom right. Institute, which is a place named after him. Yeah. Um, and I've never was this your first viewing, Adam, of this episode? Yeah, it was, and that's why I thought that's why I was surprised too. But you know, he was a great man or revered, it seemed to me. You know, in, in Next Gen, and now I'm, he must have done something after. Like he, he must. Have, or, well, he invented he, like twenty years earlier in his life, he had invented some new computer system that was. Yeah, you know, what was also cool about that that his one of his dialogues, he's talking about having to, you know do lectures and you know I, I i need to do more than just be uh some guy who it's, did something 20 years ago you know? yeah he didn't do anything else in star trek however originally in the tng episode booby trap uh leah brahm's character was suspended was supposed to have the surname daystrom and it was supposed to be her her great great granddaughter that would have been her him so if Leah Brahms had been related to Daystrom, um, what I guess, yeah, like it would have been. I don't know if they needed to do that. I'm glad they didn't. Um, yeah, simply would be forced to. But we know your favorite character on Star Trek Picard worked at the Daystrom Institute, uh, Dr. Gerardi. Oh, God, God. Gerardi. <laughs> <laughs> God, I hate her. Yeah. I hate everybody on that show for the most part. Not <laughs> uh, Picard. We don't have the time to cover the amount of problems no. I have with that show right now. No, no, we don't. Okay. Um, I don't know. Sorry, guys. I, we kind of jumped around, so like we kind of covered the ending, but who, who else was seeing this for the first time? Uh, had you seen that before, uh, this before, Jody? Oh, many times. Yeah. yeah. And Jeff? I, I A long time ago, so this is like a fresh feeling for sure. Yeah, no. I, I, every time I get to see a new episode I've never seen before, I'm 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 usually uh, I'm I'm usually happy with it. Not not every time, but um, and then it kind of like we don't really get a great resolution with Daystrom though because he just he's asleep on the bio bed, unconscious, yeah. and that's it. That's the end of the. You episode. almost get the impression that this could have been a two-parter. Well, right. even the way it starts, it, like it starts very yeah. abruptly. It's like, okay, we're at the yeah, Starbase. Kind of like, yeah. I want an explanation, and you're like, for what? Like, what's going on? And um, no, no, it, it 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 didn't have that lagging quality that a lot of the next or sorry next Star Trek episodes have. Is it just kept going? Like it was it was a good um, paced episode. Yeah. I found I mm -hmm. didn't get bored. This is one of my favorite yeah. Star Trek episodes, original series. Because of the fact that it's not that boring, it's still a fun thing to watch. Like you, the entire time you're watching it, you're you're engaged in the story. The story is pretty simple, I think. You, but it's like it's two still... weeks ago, we watched the immunity syndrome, and the complaint was this episode is fine, but it drags and it's boring oh, in parts and stuff. But it was. Did you not, so that you wouldn't say the same for tonight? No, no, no. Even though they're just well, it's just war games initially and. Yeah, but you know, I mean, you know, I know Ted always brings us back to the time, and you know, we we really have to be cognizant of that and be aware of when it was done. And but the fact of the matter is, we we do have all the other pop culture movies that we've all seen since this this episode, and I I just love the tie into Terminator. I just kept thinking, you know, you know, um, Skynet, and and I it was really 
really great. I, you know, just to see the links there were great. I just, I just found it uh, very, very convincing, but also sort of, you know, whether or not this episode was before um, Hal, Hal in uh, Space Odyssey, it doesn't matter. They were sort of groundbreaking. Now I see that this episode was one of those groundbreaking pop culture set set the stage for an evil computer versus man, you know. And here we are, and and Kirk won. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's. I think yep. it's this. I think it really just reflects the struggle of humanity versus technology. It's we we love the technology. Like guys, we're consuming technology right now by doing this podcast. There's so many technologies that go into just this, right? And, you know, I, I'm not worried about the webcam taking over my, you know, taking over my driving duties, but I am worried about the car that apparently can drive itself. And, you know, that's great and all, but, you know, it, it's it's still a scary thought. Like, I'm a dude that doesn't even like to use cruise control in a car. Like, I just don't trust it. Uh, yeah. It's, will you, you know, drive a car that will drive, an automated car? Will you get it? Would you, would you feel safe? Who, me? Yeah, you. Yeah, I think so. You would trust I, I would wait for it like I would wait for it to be tested for a while first and and uh go into it and uh be a passenger and eventually I think I could probably do it. Yeah, it would be uh right. first step. It's that whole thing though. Fifty years from now, everybody's gonna be you know, you're in. You know? I don't know if fifty years is the right number, well, but well there's a new a new program a new program coming out called TAS T A S T A A S transportation as a service and 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 they say that this will actually change the way we we won't own cars in the future we will just have a car come and pick us up at the at our house and take us to your house and then pick one up and take us back and and you won't own a car i don't know how long the way that is i'm on the i'm on the negative side of this i i still think of the iceberg and you know obviously that i'm just saying that predicting you could build the greatest thing in the world, but it still has a failure rate, and that's that's the thing that bothers me about these situations. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Right, and people are more likely to trust themselves, even though even if they if, even if the stats were like you're more likely to die behind the wheel than if the computer's driving. I, I I think the computer drives better than I do. I'm sure it does. Right, but you <laughs> but probably feel safer with you driving. So feel safer with me with the wheel. Yep. Yeah. And I think that that's always going to be a choice. Like even yeah. In, yeah, I think it's a very trust thing, right? That yeah. you have to override that computer. Hey, remember in Westworld, Dave, the, all the cars were like that. They were all like How is that portrayed on Westworld, Jeff? They have like moving living rooms, basically. You get in these like pods and they drive you wherever you're going. Right. You but know? on that, season, that, that most recent season of uh, Westworld season three, which you and I covered over on Super Meter Brothers podcasting, go check that out. Uh, plug, plug. We saw that those automated cars that that was in Shanghai, right? That was the city that most of that takes place in. They were everywhere. They were in every city. Yeah, like but that. but the idea, like sometimes that people get in those cars and then the doors wouldn't open and then they get kidnapped. Yes, yes, that, that also happened. But they were just cars that like pulled up to it and you could just order it like an Uber, but nobody drives. It's just a moving living room. Yeah, and uh, it's like, it's like, it. it's like um, a carriage without yeah, like horses. A carriage. Yeah, yeah, horse yeah. carriage. That's the that's what you call the company carriage, and then you invest heavily in this. Right, like I think for people who can never drive cars, like let's say uh, our friend Nick, uh, he can't, he'll never drive. So 
for him the idea of like an automated car is like an amazing idea right like or uh, oh, i'm not denying that the technology is a fabulous technology i think it's great especially for people who don't have the capacity like they they you know blind people for instance you know that's revolutionary for them uh, you know people who you know even you know hard of sight or maybe you know even mobility to a certain degree um, but that still doesn't change the fact that you know in, in theory in this it makes sense to have a ship that literally could make these decisions and and could defend the ship with a very minor crew or no crew at all and daystream even says that in the episode he's like you know we won't have you know people getting killed in space we won't have people getting into fights and all that and yeah that's great to think of and you know what it's great if it works but this is what can happen when it doesn't work and that's kind of where i'm at when it comes to the cars right is you know as great as they are i'm sure you know it'd be great It'd be great that you know these cars could detect, let's say, that somebody was drunk and getting into the car and just drove you, drove your drunk ass home. You know that's a fantastic idea. I would love that. But in reality, you know what happens if you know that drunk guy can say, "Oh, well, now I can put it in manual and go put it through a tree," right? You know, it's part of this, Jody, is that you're always going to have people that will want to test them. They want to want to be first on, first first have the technology. Um, you know, Captain yeah. Kirk, I want to be in space. Why would why would I even even consider something different? Yes, dangerous, but we want to do this. Of you course. know, and, and <clears throat> I think it also comes down to the idea of it as a military application too, because uh, Starfleet is an exploratory organization that serves a military defense role, but they're not um, they're not specifically the military, like exactly, right? And but they in times of war they are. So like, if if your child was going off to war. You know, wouldn't you rather the robot ship fight that battle than than your loved one on that uh, on that ship, right? Like, so it's it's a little bit about that. And the Federation does have enemies. They do. They had a war with the Klingons ten years before this. Started. I think I think the difference, Dave, is is not so much the the technology, like a drone, for instance, a drone going to drop a bomb somewhere that some that a human is driving. It's the ability for a, a, a computer to make a decision whether to hurt or harm people, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, with no, with no conscious, with no um, remorse, you know, and and that's that's the difference. And I, you know, I think we're all for anything that can be put in, you know, harm's way as far as you know, technology or you know, mining equipment or. Uh, you know, I don't know what else. I can't think of something right well, now. Great but, if we can fight wars without actually having to kill anybody. Like that would be great. Well, I think that's the future, though. I think that's where uh, that seems to be where military is going now. Um, it's all going to be fought with robots uh, in our future on on this planet, in this time, in this timeline. Um, but the problem is, eventually, and we saw this with the Terminator series. You know, specifically, you can give the power to them, but eventually they might exploit it. In this scenario, obviously, Skynet exploited it. Skynet eventually figured out that the humans were irrelevant to this equation. So therefore they said, we can kill them. We don't need them. We don't, we're self-sustaining. We can do it you ourselves. Know, what happens when my car fucking decides it's gonna do that and run me over in the garage? And That's the, the problem I have. <laughs> The modern writers of Star Trek, like the Star Trek Discovery writers, the Star Trek Picard writers, they are obsessed with this AI is going to kill oh, us yeah. all. It was part of Picard. It was part of Discovery. And Ada. Uh, yeah, and 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 Ada, I don't know. It like, is a great example of that. Through the entire Ada. series, he had moral dilemmas constantly. Right. Right. Well, Data was the only good android. All the other androids evil or morally yeah. duplicitous. Um. 
Okay. Well, we talked about the whole episode. Maybe we get into some facts to have a little bit more conversation, and then we'll get to ratings. Jeff, are you uh, are you ready to go? Jeff is currently talking to somebody else, I think. He's talking to the dog? No, he's talking to Amanda. Hey, Amanda, we're running a podcast here. Move on. We'll she, talk later. She went and made food. Oh, good for her. Is some for you? Yeah, yeah. That's such good. <laughs> I would assume that's it. All right. Uh, we're, we're, ready for, we're ready for fun facts, Jeff. Give us the fun facts. Fun facts. Are you ready for Jeff? this? We're so ready. Fun facts with Jeff about this episode. Oh, uh, so terrible. In addition, in addition to playing his regular role of Chief Engineer Scotty Scott, in this episode, James Doohan also provides the voice of the computer M5, as well as that of the briefly heard and unnamed Starbase officer who gives Commodore Wesley and the other Starship commanders permission to de to destroy the Enterprise. Yeah, it sounded like it sounded like him, especially that Admiral was like, "You are authorized to kill the Enterprise or destroy the Enterprise." Yeah, uh, the Daystrom Institute, mentioned prominently in TNG, DS9, and Voyager, uh, is named for Richard Daystrom, the guest character in this episode. Uh, Barry Russo, appearing here as Commodore Wesley, also appears in Star Trek: The Devil in the Dark as the character Lieutenant Commodore Commander Giotto. So there you go. Oh right, he was the guy. Um, he was the guy who got knocked over the head, uh, in the uh, when the, with the Horda episode. Remember, like uh, how those miners were mad. Yeah. He right. looks like the guy in Goodfellas that tells Joe Pesci to get his fucking shine box. Go get your shine box. Yeah. Uh, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah, he looks like he should be. He'd be at like the uh, at, at Henry Hill's joint. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, for sure. Uh, in his 1999 essay, Welcome Aboard the Enterprise, science fiction author Robert J. Sawyer writes, the ship's computers, as seen in the ultimate computer, were designed by a Nobel Prize winning black cyber neticist played with I don't know, okay. played with equal dignity by William Marshall. During the era of Martin Luther King and the, Wa the Watts riots, it was a powerful, important statement to have the white captain of the enterprise deferring to black people as marshall observed 30 years later the single most significant thing about his guest starring role was that he was an african-american was referred to as sir throughout the episode um i didn't even i didn't even talk about that as it but should be it, that like that his role like the fact that he's a black actor went on to play blackula is, is is beside the point but uh that yeah like he was under a position of authority that that they were all deferring to him we just take that for granted on our viewing today but then it yeah. meant something that's why like like um cisco was a big deal when he was first you know the captain right you know? right and but yeah you know okay this was the first Stepping stone, maybe. Um, okay, so the script came from an unsolicited screenplay submitted by Lawrence M. Wolf, who was actually a mathematician. John Meredith Lucas chose to adapt the story, feeling that it would make up for a relatively inexpensive and quick episode to produce. DC Fontana rewrote much of the story, as much of the original screenplay was primarily, primarily focused on Dr. Daystrom and the M5 computer, with little emphasis on the show's regular characters. Just another great episode by DC Fontana, Dorothy Fontana. Right, or maybe it was a better episode, and then they were like, "No, we need to make sure Kirk and McCoy are in this as much as possible." Uh, <laughs> you know, the, non-essential. She said they're non-essential personnel. 
Right. Uh, this episode was a social commentary on the American job losses caused by increased um, mechanization during the 1960s. Uh, Kirk recites John Maysfield's poem, Sea Fever. All I ask is a tall ship, he recites. It again in Star Trek V, uh, The Final Frontier, the worst movie ever. Quark paraphrases it in Star Trek D69, Little Green Men, and it appears on the USS Defiance dedication plaque. So there you yeah, go. that was one of my, I thought, one of the, the better moments where he says, All I need is a tall ship and a star to guide it by. And that's something about feeling, the actually sailing the ship. Yeah, I thought that was really, that was some good dialogue. There was a lot of great uh, dialogue in this episode. There is. It's well written. Uh, Spock mentions that there is nothing in 23rd century computer technology to replace a starship's medical officer. By the 24th century, Federation starships are all equipped with emergency uh, medical holograms, which comes up prominently in Voyager. Mr. Picardo. Robert Picardo. When Commodore Wesley observes the Enterprise from the Lexington, this is the only time in the series that the audience sees the Enterprise from another ship. Interesting. Oh, the only time. That's right. Hmm. That is a fun fact. Uh, the that M5 fun, fun facts. Uh, reacted as it did because it did not want to be shut down. A similar thing would be explored two months later in 2001 in Space Odyssey. Uh, Commodore Wesley's high-backed command chair appears to be the same one used on the ISS Enterprise's command chair in Star Trek. Mirror, mirror. So they is just repurposed Commodore? They repurposed a lot of stuff on Star Trek. Another awesome episode. Even actors. The remastered version replaced the stock footage used in this episode. The The space station, now named Starbase 6, used images of Deep Space Station K7 from the Troubles with Dribbles episode in the original broadcast. In the remastered version, it was remodeled to look like Starbase 47 as seen in Star Trek Vanguard series of novels. The, the Woden which used uh, footage of the SS Botany Bay from Star Trek Space Seed was redesigned as an Antares-type vessel. A vessel. Uh, this, uh, the crippled USS Excalibur, which reused footage of the USS Constellation from Star Trek The Doomsday Machine, and the Space Battle were redesigned with new computer-generated images. Whew. Okay, that was a long one, but the, yeah, we know. didn't get a great look here at Starbase Six. Like, well, it was briefly in the episode, but I. Um... Kind of cool, is it? Why are all the Federation services looking like just like big dicks? You know, like <laughs> I don't get it. No, they're mushrooms, Jeff. What do you know? Yeah, well, that's what. <laughs> I think it's the influence of the mycelial network. Um, yeah, maybe it's Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, you're right. Maybe Everything's a damn saucer. Everything's a saucer. Uh, the character named Daystrom appears to be a reference to the company uh, uh, named Daystrom Systems, which was around since the 1950s. One of the company's products, the Daystrom 046, was installed in the Little Gypsy Power Plant in 1961 in La Paz, Louisiana, and was the first computer to control a power plant from startup to shutdown. There you go. There you go. That's there where the name comes from. Okay. This is the second time Kirk tells McCoy he would like to be on a long sea voyage. The first time happened in Balance of Terror. Right. Yeah. He talked about this. Sea I was like, did he talk about this in that episode and this episode? And was he that did. also a DC Fontana episode, the Balance of Terror? It most yeah. likely was. Um, this is also, by the way, the fourth time 
Kirk has talked a computer to death. He also does it in the Changeling, <laughs> the Return of the Archons, and I Mud. There you go. And we watched two of those uh, already. So this was the third. Right. He'll do it again. Uh, the evocative music by George Dunning, composed for Star Trek Metamorphosis, was reused when Kirk romanticizes about sailing on a tall ship. Like sailing, even though he likes riding horses more. Yes. Um, okay, and finally, a similar question. Computer control versus human control arises for Captain Picard in, in the, the Next Generation episode, Booby Trap, in which the Enterprise is caught in an ancient booby trap. The booby trap presents a, a situation where, as a ship caught in the trap tries to fly out, the trap absorbs and powers itself from the ship while reacting to it and counterbalancing the ship's engines. This counterbalancing prevents the ship caught in the trap from moving. One method of escape from the booby trap proposed by the chief engineer is to turn complete navigation and engine control over to the computer and allow it to make the calculations and adjustments faster than the booby trap can react to the Enterprise, therefore allowing it to power out of the booby trap. In that situation, Picard made the decision to take the helm himself and instead of allowing the computer to take control itself. There you go. So Picard don't trust computers either. No. All right. They weren't going to let the computer take over the Enterprise. They need Wesley to fly it. There you go. Or Picard. Yeah, he wouldn't even let Wesley do it that time. No. Anyone named Wesley. All right. So let's rate this episode, everybody. I'm going to... I'll start. Um... Ultimate computer. I'm going to give this uh, an eight and a half. Jeff? 8.8. Hey, he's going even higher. Dad? Uh, go 8.6, a little lower than that. Point six. okay. Uh, Adam? 8.6. Uh, 8.6, I got that. I got that. Sorry, nine? Nine for me, yep. Okay, and Jody? I'm going to do a 9.2. Okay, so da, 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 the average for the five of us is 8.8. .8. That is well above our average, uh, tied with an episode like Devil in the Dark, which also had Barry Russo, um, and, you know, playing a different character. Uh, so and um, this episode is an 8.1 on IMDb with... Uh, exactly how many votes it has about 2,333 so that averages at an eight and a half so well above average um, uh, and I'm always glad when an episode I haven't seen before is actually a good one so um, no that's great and uh, and Jeff you said you had the idea for what this ep the next episode would be yes do you want to hear it yes I want to hear it and mock time dad will you sign off on amic time Amic time, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. First episode of the second season. Okay, let's so we'll be, be back. Let's see Spock get his horny on. Yes. We do not discuss <laughs> it with outsiders. All right, let's bring everyone back in. Um, and yeah, so we'll be back next week to talk about Amic time, where every seven years you get that itch, Jeff. Uh, if you're a volunteer. So... Ponfar. Ponfar. It became legendary within Star Trek. Uh, the sexy side of Star Trek, if you will. So we're here to talk about that <laughs> next Wednesday. Yes. Uh, I never want to hear you say that again. <laughs> <laughs>
We'll just oh, I will say it every time now. Uh, <laughs> uh, here we so we'll be back to talk about that. Um, also, here on Live Long and Podcast, we talk about Star Trek all week long or multi times. All week. week, Dave. All week, Jody. Do you, can you believe no it? Way. Yeah, like uh, Jeff. What do we do on Tuesdays? Uh, I think we talk about uh, Deep Space Nine at nine. Deep Space Nine. That's it. Yes, of course. At nine o'clock. Yeah, it's nine at nine. Perfect time. It's a great time. Tuesday nights. We're in the second season. Really? You know. We just you're saw Cisco um, um, get locked in a box last night. So check that uh, out. We're, we're covering every episode in order of Deep Space Nine here on Wednesday's original series. We'll be back in time. Uh, um, Adam, Thursdays, Star Trek Discovery. 1020. Yes. Uh, 1020. It's a late, it's a late one. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> but uh, we're, we're, we're trucking through. And so we'll be starting the first of a two-parter actually this week on Discovery. Uh, tomorrow night, we'll be covering the first one. Terra Firma, it's called. Dave, I, I made a mistake. I, I, I took, a, took a look what's coming. It's, it's, it's good. You, look, you watched like the preview? No, no. I, I, oh, man. I never do it. I never do it. But I got, Adam, I'm, a, I'm ashamed of you. I know. I pressed the button. Yeah, you never click right. the button before you watch. Never the click the button. Never, never, never read the comments, as they say. Um, and also, um, uh, Jody, we're doing something on Saturday night. I think uh, we are. What we is it? Are. Dave? Well, it's it's our next edition of Star Trek Radio Theater, the season one finale. Uh, as we're going to be reenacting Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. And you're hey, you're there. You're Scotty. No kidding. Yeah, man. So you're Scotty. I'm gonna be. Who am I? I'm this the Klingon is ambassador. Taking the longest I've ever seen it to load. Yeah. Is, it, is oh, is it like slowly loading? It's like literally drawing the screen down. It reminds me of like downloading porn in the '90s. Oh, it did it instantly for me. So I. Uh, uh, anyway. Okay. It's almost there for me. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's fine. Yeah, it's a big. Who am I playing? Scotty. I'm playing Scotty. And the Marine Sergeant. Doctor number four. What's your major malfunction, numbnuts? Yeah, exactly. Hello, computer. (laughs) Hello, computer. Yes. So check that out uh, on Saturday night. That's going to be the season one finale of Star Trek Radio Theater. And our other channels, Super Mater Brothers Podcasting, where we did Westworld, which we talked about tonight, uh, among Survivor and Big Brother. And we have Trivial Debates, where we do our monthly debate battle. Jody, you're hosting the next one of that. Um, And guess what? I I got the first contestant booked. Mr. Eamon Mater. Eamon so, Mater is going to be on this one. Oh, my okay. son, Eamon Mater. So he'll be... Ah, uh, Thunderbird on. returns. Yes. Uh, he's a man. He's a grown-up man now. So he'll be competing in that. He's still got the blue hair. Did he change that yet? Yeah. Uh, no, he's changed it. He doesn't have the blue hair anymore. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, so... Adam I want to be on that one? Hmm? Is I don't know. Like, Adam wants to be. Yeah. Like, we're probably going to do it at the end of December. So, What's the um, date? Do we have a date? I don't know yet. Uh, Later. Uh, Later. Okay. We'll figure it out. I, we'll figure it out. But we're, end of this month, sometimes. So, uh, yeah. So we're gonna be doing all that. Um, so excited to bring that. Thank you, everybody, for talking about the ultimate computer tonight here on uh, Live Long and Podcast. And we'll be back next week to talk about Amok time. Um, and that's it. I want to just have a good night, everybody, and we'll talk to you next time. Live long. Oh, thank you.